Chapter 6 The Crown Prince of the Fire Nation Once, a long, long time ago, the weight of the gaze of a crowd did not suffocate Zuko. He was a prince, imbued with pride, the blessing of Agni running through his veins. But now, Zuko feels that the Prince of the Fire Nation could not be further away. Now, when the eyes of every member of the camp turn to him, Zuko cannot imagine feeling smaller. He is being watched from too many angles, and anger and disbelief are thick in the air. And while having Aang and the other children behind him had seemed like support just moments ago, Zuko is currently hyper-aware of each of them standing where he is blind. The morning of battle has arrived, and everything is falling apart around them. This is not Zuko's fault. This is not his fault. But it seems that Zuko is the only one who believes that. Zuko barely even understands the battle plan, so he's in no position to betray anyone. He has been keeping himself out of those conversations, and even Sokka has respected that Zuko doesn't want to hear the plans. Uncle Iroh has been firm that Zuko isn't to come close to the main fight, and after a half-screaming argument, Zuko has begrudgingly admitted that it would be a bad idea to put him anywhere near the Fire Lord. Zuko can feel himself catapulting between terror and rage multiple times a day, and more often than not, when he spies in the Fire Lord's war room, he's physically sick upon returning to the White Lotus camp. Zuko is unstable, and he knows enough to understand that instability in a soldier is a liability. So it isn't Zuko's fault, because Zuko doesn't even know enough of the plan to betray the White Lotus. However, Zuko has still done the one thing he was apparently supposed to know better than to do, even though nobody actually said he shouldn't. He told Azula. It goes like this. Zuko slips into the war room to listen to Father every day. Father's voice grates in his ears, and sometimes Zuko has to close his eyes and draw deep, unnecessary breaths to remind himself that he isn't in the other place. There is no other place. He isn't in his room in the palace, the prison with the silk sheets. Often, Azula is present in those meetings, but it isn't quite enough for Zuko to hear her voice. He needs to see her and speak with her to do his best to ensure that she's safe from father and from the war, and so he follows her into her bedroom, late enough that the servants have left, and tries his best. Uzula refuses to look at him. Her skin is pale and sallow, and her eyes look more sunken in her face than they should. It's like she's slowly disappearing before his eyes. It's like Azula is the ghost, after all. Is it possible that she looks like this because father? Azula... Zuko says, keeping his voice as steady as he can manage. You need to get out of the palace. Azula's eyes almost flicker to him at that, but then she turns her whole body away and fusses at her bedclothes. Just tell father you want to go somewhere with Tylee and Mai. Zuko begs, just get out of the palace, please. Nothing. Azula, the war is coming tomorrow. We're out of time. You need to leave. Azula waves a hand to extinguish the candles and they are left only in the moonlight seeping through the window. Zuko wonders briefly if this is how Yue felt when she was begging Zuko to fight. Please, Azula. Azula slips into her bed and keeps her back turned on Zuko. He's going to stay here, he decides. He's going to stay all night, just to be sure that father's footsteps never sound in the hall. There is nothing that Zuko can say that will make Azula flee the palace. When this realization settles, it is with a deep well of regret. If Zuko had only understood what was happening to him earlier, he could have spent three years with Azula. He could have spoken with her, grown with her, gotten to know the woman she's growing into. Instead, 
Zuko's only knowledge of his little sister is stale. I love you, he admits eventually, voice just a whisper in her darkened room. Azula's shoulder hitches, just slightly in response. If she was anyone else, Zuko would wonder if she was crying. I love you, he says again, and settles in to keep watch. Things fall apart in the morning. Zuko pushes himself into his hiding place, in the war meeting, expecting little, and finds... They know! The words burst from him once he arrives back at the White Lotus camp. Zuko hasn't been moved in the night, because he never returned after seeing Azula. A blanket has been draped across him, and it takes him a moment to realize that the other children have joined him sleeping outside again. Nobody is touching him this time, but they are all sitting or lying nearby, and Suki is in her customary spot to his right. Zuko doesn't have time to place the emotion that bubbles up inside of him at that, but it's warm and almost pleasant, and quickly extinguished by what he has learned. Aang blinks up from him, where he's still curled into a very tight ball on the ground. Uh, you were gone all night! Sokka exclaims through a mouthful of breakfast. He points his chops to get Zuko, swallows and then continues, You can't! You have a curfew! Zuko doesn't have a curfew, Suki responds, a grin evident in her voice. Well, he does now, Sokka continues. No more staying out of body all night. It is weird and creepy and we don't have a way to... They know, Zuko repeats, and the children fall silent to look at him blankly. Zuko shrugs the blanket off himself, heart beating wildly. They know we're coming. He pushes himself up to stand, allowing Suki's brief hand on his arm to steady him, and then takes off in the direction of the main area of their makeshift pre-battle camp. The members of the White Lotus are calculating and furious. Zuko's heart is in his throat, and he feels simultaneously too hot and too cold. Zuko wants to leave his body, if only to leave behind the uncomfortable sensation of panic running through it. How could they possibly know? The children are all standing behind Zuko, which might be comforting if Zuko could see them. As it is, it makes him feel itchy to have people behind him instead of a solid wall. Zuko ignores the feeling as best he can, and focuses on the fact that they are behind him for support, not to make him feel vulnerable. There must be a leak, Uncle Iroh concludes. We've been tight with information, but there is only so tight we can be when planning a war. Someone's allyship has slipped. You don't think a member of the White Lotus, Aang asks, walking to stand at Zuko's side. Aang's presence makes things minutely easier. It's safer having the Avatar beside him than behind him. Uncle Iroh shakes his head. I am not accusing anybody, certainly not anybody here, but there are other ways for information of our plan to have spread. I can think of a way, Master Paku points out, and Zuko turns to listen before realizing that Master Paku is looking straight back at him. Paku, Iroh points out, his voice taking that measured tone that means he isn't angry, but anger is a distinct possibility on the horizon. I will remind you that it's Zuko who brought this to our attention. Had he wanted us to walk into a trap, he would have remained silent. Paku looks back to Iroh, and Zuko relaxes infinitesimally. I am not suggesting that Prince Zuko is playing both sides, he explains. But perhaps he was seen, traced, as I said before. This was never a good idea. Zuko stares back at Master Paku, and dread shocks through his system. His wrists hurt. His heart is too fast. Zuko told Azula. And the thing is, it can't be Azula. That doesn't work because Zuko sat by her bedside all night. He couldn't walk beside her on the way to the war meeting, but that wasn't enough time for the information to spread like that. 
and Zuko is certain that the Fire Nation knows more than Zuko disclosed. But if he doesn't mention it, that's tantamount to a lie, and he can't just keep lying to everyone. He can't. There's no honor in this. Zuko closes his eyes. His chest aches with how fast his heart is beating. Azula knows, he admits, and then before anyone can respond, he adds, It wasn't her. I was with her all night, and they... They know more than I said to her. It wasn't her. And this time, when Iroh turns his gaze to Zuko, it isn't with the careful expression of a man who might be angry. You told the princess? The voices swarm around him, and Zuko keeps his chin high, even when his instincts are telling him to make himself small. She's my little sister, he states, refusing to back down. The voices do not quieten. There are too many of them for Zuko's mind to unpick, and he hears his uncle and his friends, and he understands the fury in their tones. He knows what this means, and he knows that nothing about it bodes well for him. It wasn't Azula, he yells eventually, fury sparking. We have another leak. It's not Azula. We don't have time for this, Iroh booms, and everyone quietens down. Zuko hadn't noticed him moving, but he no longer has his back to the children. He shifted so that he's standing alone with the safety of rock behind him. Nobody is listening to him. Nobody is going to listen to him. We always knew that it was a possibility that the Fire Lord would be prepared for us, Iroh points out. This is why we have backup plans. What we need to focus on now is infiltrating and doing our best to contain the Fire Lord to the caldera. He will likely retreat to the bunkers, but it is too late for him to retreat from the city. We are prepared for this. I'll find out what they're planning, Zuko says, and Iroh turns to Zuko with sharp eyes. You will do no such thing, Zuko freezes. If you are correct that it was not Princess Azula, then Paku may be correct. They might know that you are there. And Zuko realizes, there is a leak. Someone is feeding information to the Fire Lord, some ally to the White Lotus, and they don't even know how much the Fire Lord might know about their plans. But nobody is going to try to figure out who it is, because everyone is convinced that the problem is Zuko. And they think they're solving the problem by removing him from the equation. The world tilts and shifts as Zuko watches the White Lotus and the Avatar's friend finalize plans. His wrists ache. He looks down at them, trying to picture what these people would use to restrain him. Zuko glances at Iroh, who is giving orders at a rapid pace. Nothing flammable, of course. Nothing he could break through that easily. But it isn't likely that they'd have iron cuffs nearby, is it? Zuko glances at Chief Hakoda, who is busy talking in low tones with Sokka and Toph. Katara is listening, too, but she's frowning over at Aang. Her lips are pursed. Zuko understands this expression on her face, even though Zuko has always had a hard time with expressions. Katara wants to burst out some angry statement, but she's holding herself back. And Zuko realizes, they can't restrain him at all. It wouldn't do them any good. That's why nobody is grabbing him right now. They know that he can just slip from his body and leave. Aang is staring back at Zuko. Zuko flinches a little when he meets Aang's eyes, and turns away to look at Iroh again. He can still feel the weight of the Avatar's gaze. They wouldn't kill me, Zuko assures himself. Uncle Iroh wouldn't allow it. Uncle might think that Zuko is worse than useless at the moment, might regret allowing Zuko to have a hand in this war, might miss the time that Zuko was only an easily dismissed ghost. Iroh might even think that if Zuko had stayed put in the room in the palace, this war would be winnable. But he wouldn't let anyone actually hurt Zuko. Zuko is certain of it. And for all Aang looks ancient and ready for war, 
Aang doesn't even want to kill the Fire Lord. And anyway, Zuko isn't even afraid of dying. However, there are things that Zuko is afraid of. And when you know you can't restrain someone with iron shackles, the other way to do it is by rendering him unconscious. Zuko's heart beats very heavily in his ribcage as he weighs his options. He's going to have to leave his body unguarded somehow, either because the White Lotus will deem him unfit to remain as an element in this battle, or because he will manage to help by continuing to spy on the palace. If he stays here, whether it's with permission to help or with the decision to render him unconscious, Zuko will be defenseless. And right now, nobody is happy with him. Uncle Iroh wouldn't let anyone hurt him, but there's a war to be fought. Protecting Zuko is not going to be at the forefront of anyone's minds. And so it's obvious. Zuko needs to escape. Of course I'm not saying that we should trust Princess Azula, Hakoda says, keeping his voice low and calm. I'm saying that Zuko knows her better than we do, and that means that we should take his opinion seriously. If it wasn't the princess, then somebody else has a problematic ally. His children give one another a serious look, and then look back up at him. Hakoda is proud to say that they are prepared for battle, and it also makes him profoundly sad. So, we need to only trust one another, Sokka says, and then looks around them. I think we can trust Iroh, too. But trusting someone and telling them everything isn't the same thing, Toph adds. We need a super-secret backup plan. Luckily, we have a super-secret backup plan guy. And she punches Sokka in the shoulder. Okay, first, ow, Sokka says, rubbing his shoulder. And second, thanks, Toph. We should get Suki and Zuko, see if we can sketch out a plan for what happens if everything falls apart, Hakoda suggests. Obviously, we want Aang with us, too, but he might be swept along with the tide for a while. He eyes where General Iroh is talking with the Avatar, and allows himself just a moment to bask in the bewilderment that his closest allies in this battle are all children, and then decides that he'll let himself truly recognize the awful implications of that once the battle is over. I'll fill Aang in, Katara asks. Where are the others? Hakoda watches as Sokka frowns down at a map in front of him. He has to restrain himself from the impulse to fix Sokka's hair, because the last thing his son needs is to be babied, and Hakoda isn't sure that he's earned back the right anyway. Um, Toph says, voice pitched a little higher than usual. I might have some unfortunate news. Zuko doesn't stop running until his legs feel like they're going to collapse under him. It isn't as far as it should be, because Zuko's body is startlingly weak. He's thinner and frailer than he should be, after years of too little movement and barely any access to the sun. For three years in the palace, people had been more concerned with keeping him pretty than keeping him comfortable, and it shows. The White Lotus pre-battle camp isn't far from the caldera, which means that Zuko needs to avoid being spotted by scouts. There's only so long he can flee before he's putting himself at further risk, so he hastily finds a place to hide. Zuko curls his knees up to his chest and pushes away from his body. The throne room bustles with energy. He narrows his eyes. I have news. Zuko arrives at the scene with clenched fists and a scowl, like he wasn't just causing everyone to have a freaking heart attack. Zuko! Sokka would really like to punch him, but A, Sokka has only just clawed himself back to the point that he can poke Zuko without Zuko acting like he's going to burst a blood vessel, and B... Sokka should really save his fighting instincts for the upcoming battle. Dude, you cannot just disappear on us like that. It's not okay. Zuko blinks at Sokka for a moment, apparently distracted from his news by Sokka's outburst. Wow, Toph says, because Toph is helpful like that. Sokka is about to turn a glare on Toph, 
But then he realizes that Zuko looks better, healthier. The shadows are missing from under his good eye, and his skin isn't near translucent with its paleness. And with a burst of desperate anger, Sokka realizes, you're not here. Zuko blinks at him, frowns more deeply, and then says, you need to attack now. They know our timing, which could work in our favor, because they think we're not going to attack until later in the day. He looks from Zuko to Dad, flinches, and then looks back again. Zuko! Dad breathes, swinging an arm over Sokka's shoulders. Twi and La, we thought you'd disappeared on us. Where's... He did, Toph states, stomping her foot so hard that the earth shakes a little. He isn't here. Sokka looks at Dad, because it's easier than looking at Zuko. Dad looks surprised, and then more than a little concerned. Their information is specifically about the outside groups we have coming in for the war, and they're being updated, Zuko continues, like the fact that he's currently a ghost is barely news at all. So we need to tell them nothing, and, I don't know, go in as a smaller group? Zuko looks to Sokka, like he thinks Sokka is going to pull a plan out of thin air at any moment. And Sokka is irritated and upset, but he's also thinking, If they know we're coming, what's their plan? Bunkers, Zuko responds. They're going to leave a lot of fighters in the city, but my... The Fire Lord and Princess are going to the bunkers. They have scouts and eyes on our allies, so they know they've got time. They think they've got time, Sokka replies, and Zuko flashes what's almost a smile at him. Zuko, you know you can come back, right? Dag suggests, tone calmer than Sokka would be able to muster at this moment. You know that nobody's angry with you. Zuko scoffs a little at that, and then hastily brushes past it all with, So you need to attack soon. I can probably find you a path in the back way. Maybe I can even distract some guards at the right moment. I'll check how they're guarding. It sounds too final. No, wait, Sokka says, reaching towards the ghost of his friend. Zuko! Iroh's voice sounds from across the camp, having finally spotted him. And then Zuko is gone. The space that once occupied him is empty, has been empty this whole time. Sokka allows himself a few seconds to stare, shocked and more than a little disappointed, and then turns back to Dad and Toph. Okay, he says, change of plans. Zuko comes back to his body, intending to check his surroundings before going back to the war room, only to find, hey, Zuko jolts, entire body freezing with surprise. His breath catches in his chest, cold with panic. Suki is sitting across from him, drawing patterns in the dirt between her knees. What? Zuko asks, shifting himself backwards. What are you doing here? Suki smiles a little. It sits oddly on her face, like she doesn't want to be smiling at all. You don't like to be unguarded when you're off playing boy ghost, she says, like it's that simple. You followed me. You're not very fast, Suki responds, like that's an excuse. Zuko feels his mouth twisting, feels his heart twisting, and he isn't sure if he's angry or grateful. Want to update me? Suki asks. Or do you just want me to play bodyguard? Zuko breathes deeply, smoldering the flames of unfamiliar emotion, and begins to explain. It isn't going to be enough time. Zuko darts between the palace and Sokka, doing his best to avoid his father and his uncle, helping to weave the new plan. Sokka insists that the correct allies have been identified, and Zuko believes that their plan makes sense. The Avatar will fight inside the palace against the Fire Lord, and their allied armies will arrive, and they might even win. But at this rate, it isn't going to be enough time, and there's no way they win if the Fire Lord gets to the bunkers too early. If this battle becomes about perseverance, they will lose. 
and if they lose today, the Fire Lord will use the Comet to crush the possibility of future resistance. This battle has to be about taking out the Fire Lord, and they have to win it. The White Lotus are banking entirely on the fact that the Fire Lord thinks he knows exactly what is coming, and when, between his informants and his scouts. Thanks to Zuko's insider information, they have confirmation of every movement and decision. But the Fire Lord is also surrounded by generals and advisors, who would have him hidden away immediately upon receiving the information. If the Fire Lord had known about this even a day early, he wouldn't be caught in the royal Caldera city at all. The Fire Lord's advisors would have him retreat early, erring on the side of caution. And the truth is, that Zuko's father has nothing other than pride keeping him in the throne room for now. They can't guarantee that this will keep him planted where he needs to be. This can't be for nothing. It has to be today. Zuko needs to keep him in the throne room, just a little longer. I'm going in, Zuko says, appearing at Aang's side. Aang blinks. What? They're on Appa's back, which Zuko appreciates for a few moments. He wishes he could feel the wind in his hair. I can buy you time, but not much. So hurry, okay? I'm going in, Zuko says to Suki, who looks up at him with very wide eyes. I don't think that's a good idea, she says carefully, and Zuko shakes his head and reaches for her hand. She grasps back, her hand strong and warm, and Zuko thinks, it isn't a good idea at all. He breathes deeply and slips away. Zuko steps out from behind the pillar. Azula is still. She has been having a difficult time keeping her hands from trembling. It's been the case for days now. But Azula is entirely still when the ghost of her brother walks calmly into the center of the throne room. She is still when Father raises his eyebrows and the guards raise their weapons. They see Zuko, and Azula sees Zuko, and Azula's hands do not tremble. Her heart might, a little bit, but that's nobody's business but her own. Zuko, she hears herself say, as if her own voice is very far away from her. Zuko is 13 when he first tries to escape. He hurts everywhere, not least of all his heart, but he knows in his bones that if he doesn't escape now, he will die in this room. He attempts to flee, burning a servant on his way out, but he doesn't even make it past the guards. That night, Father closes the door behind him and orders nobody to enter. Zuko spends long, awful days chained to the bed, trying not to look at the unconscious, hopefully just unconscious, servant in the corner. One day he returns to his body and the servant is gone. He never finds out what happened to her, but between the burns and the lack of medical care, Zuko knows the outline of her fate. He vows never to try to escape again. It isn't a promise he keeps. Zuko is 12 when his fear of father shifts. He doesn't understand why it happens. It's been a year since Mother disappeared, since Zuko has felt safe in the palace. But one day, Father's gaze lingers on Zuko, and it unsettles him deep in his soul. It's instinct that drives him to ensure that he isn't alone with Father, but his instinct to ensure that Azula also isn't alone with him makes Azula blisteringly angry, and Zuko doesn't have the words to explain why he feels the need to intrude, to place himself between Father and Azula. He can't explain that he's only trying to protect her, because he doesn't understand what he's trying to protect her from. Nonetheless, he vows to never leave Azula alone with him. That isn't a promise he keeps either. Zuko is eleven when Mother disappears. 
She is there one day and gone the next, leaving a cavernous hole in his heart. Azula says that father is planning to kill Zuko, and then mother is gone. But Azula always lies, and Zuko vows that he won't listen to her anymore. Father loves him. Father would never hurt him. Zuko is 16 when he walks into the throne room and looks up at the monster. Zuko, Azula says, and her voice is off somehow, but Zuko cannot spare her a glance right now. Zuko has a job to do, and that job is to keep father here until the Avatar makes his way into the room. Zuko looks up at his father, and he feels all of the layers of terror that years have built up on him, feels them bubble over. But as father looks back at him with wide, surprised eyes, Zuko also finds himself remembering that the other place is only a room, and the monster is only a man, and rooms and men can be torn down. Aang is going to beat him. Zuko knows it. All Zuko needs to do is keep him in this room. Father, he says, reaching the center of the room. The guards have their weapons drawn, but Zuko has no fear to direct their way. They cannot hurt him. Don't be fooled, Azula, Firelord Ozai insists, unwavering by this imposter. Imposter, Zuko thinks. That would be nice, wouldn't it? To be someone else. To only be pretending to be this man's son. Imposter, Zuko repeats, trying out the shape of the word. Then where is your son, Fire Lord Ozai? The room is quiet. The guards have not been ordered to move, and Father looks almost amused. Like Zuko having escaped from his palace prison, only to return alone in the throne room as some kind of entertainment. Father has looked at Zuko with amusement for years now, like Zuko is nothing more than a toy. Zuko shakes this from his head, ignores the slowly building dread and nausea, and continues his quest for time. Is he dead? Zuko asks, feeling the edges of his fear bleed into anger. Then why haven't you announced his passing? Or maybe he's banished. Does anyone know? Zuko asks, turning to look at the guards but only for a moment, because his instincts won't allow him to look away from the threat in the room. You forget, the Fire Lord says, still looking nothing other than mildly amused, that it doesn't matter. If my son were alive, then he has been banished from our kingdom and has no right to be present in the palace. He looks down his nose at Zuko, his expression calm and unimpressed, and it seems that his punishment has not taught him respect at all. You're wrong, Zuko insists. I have learned respect, and I have learned that you are not worthy of it. Enough, boy, the Fire Lord states. Guards? Agni Kai, Zuko says before his father can complete the command. I challenge you to an Agni Kai. Zuko's heart is pounding in his chest, even though he has no body here. He's safe, he reminds himself. He cannot be harmed. He only needs to trade his fear for time. There is a long moment of quiet in the throne room. It takes Zuko a few moments to realize what he has done. There is no obligation to accept the challenge of an Agni Kai. In truth, Zuko only issued the challenge to buy precious time. Had he thought this through for another moment, he might have expected an ensuing argument about how the Fire Lord has no obligation to accept Zuko's challenge. But Fire Lord Ozai has heavily implied to the witnesses in the room that Zuko really is the Crown Prince. Azula has even called him by name. The challenge of an Agni Kai issued by a crown prince to a Fire Lord is a direct challenge for the Dragon Throne, and the Fire Lord is obligated to accept the challenge. Zuko's unnecessary breath catches in his non-existent lungs. He only needs time. He only needs time. The Fire Lord laughs. Zuko risks a glance at his sister, 
who is sitting cross-legged by their father's side. Her posture is perfect. Her eyes are round and shadowed, and she is staring back at Zuko like she's seeing a ghost. The Fire Lord's laughter fades, and when Zuko's eyes return to his, it is to find father's sharp smirk. My son, the Fire Lord replies, is not old enough to issue or accept a challenge for an Agni Kai without my permission. Cold anger washes over Zuko. Zuko doesn't even want to fight this Agni Kai, and there are a million other injustices that his father has committed. Trespasses on Zuko's own body, the shadow of his hand somehow a permanent invisible scar, and this one pales in comparison. But Zuko's fury flows through him anyway, at the injustice of denying this challenge now, but accepting it on his behalf when he was an unwitting child. Fire sparks at Zuko's fingertips. The fire that Zuko can manifest in this form, far from his own body, is cool and yellow. But it is enough for the guards to shift, and for his father's expression to turn predatory. Leave him for me, father insists. Restrain him. I'll take care of him. Later. Zuko is not going to vomit, he tells himself. He is not going to let the weakness at his knees pull him down. Zuko is not embodied right now, and he won't be dragged down by the weakness of a body that isn't even here. Never! Zuko spits, his voice wavering. You will never restrain me again. I am free, he insists, and he can hear that something is wrong in his own voice, can hear the panic and revulsion lacing every word. I am free, and you will not take that away from me. Oh, Zuko, father says, faux pity on his features. You will never be free from me. For a moment, Zuko thinks that the low buzz of noise is the sound of his non-existent blood rushing in his ears. But he watches as the Fire Lord responds, the tilt of his father's chin towards the doors, and realizes. The smile slips from Fire Lord Ozai's face. What is that? And Zuko finds himself standing taller. That is why I'm here. Ozai's eyes flash. You were stalling. I think it's about time that you meet the Avatar, father. Zuko suggests, and the doors burst open. Chaos enters the room. Zuko stands in the middle of it. Calm settles around him. The panic from facing his father fades into the background noise, because this fight cannot touch him. Zuko isn't here. He reaches out to help where he can, trapping guards, stopping a soldier from approaching Katara from behind, and looks for Azula. A sword slashes through his chest and crashes to the floor with unexpected momentum. The sword's owner looks at him with open surprise. It's a mistake. Toph takes him down. Zuko walks through the throne room, through the battlefield, following the blue of his sister's fire. You! Zuko turns his head at his father's snarl. The Fire Lord's soldiers, guards, and allies are many. The Avatar is well distracted. But if all has gone according to plan, they are also trapped in this room. Nobody is leaving until there is a victor. I told you, Zuko says not even jumping as his father fire washes over him. I am free. And in that moment, Zuko's father looks nothing like a monster. He looks nothing like the nightmare from the other place. He is only a man, made of flesh and sinew and bone, and there will never be shackles around Zuko's wrists again. You will never be free, father repeats, pushing himself close to Zuko. He reaches out his hand towards Zuko's hair, like he's done a thousand times before. You, boy, are mine. Father's hand lands at his hair, and Zuko is gone. Zuko wakes to movement. The world is the wrong way around. It's disorienting for more than a moment. And then Zuko recognizes a strong shoulder at his stomach. No, 
He snaps, pushing away. No, no. He scrambles away, landing heavily on his feet. But then he is swept into running again. I'm sorry, Suki shouts, dragging him by the arm. I had to carry you. We were... An arrow whips by Suki's ear. Zuko picks up the pace. Where are we going? He asks, shaking off the horror in his body at the idea of having been moved. Suki had no choice. Are we going towards the palace? Suki looks up at him, a quick flash of her eyes as she continues to lead them away. We can be. How are they? They're fighting, Zuko replies. All of the calm of battle has left him now. The detachment of being there only in spirit is gone. Zuko is human again, and in danger. And his own danger has heightened his sense that the battle in the throne room is raging and strong, and there are no guarantees. We need to help, Zuko insists. I can check for a way in. Suki drags them around a corner. Be quick, she says. I'll cover you. Everything happens very quickly. Suki fights hard and fast and lethal. She drags Zuko along, sometimes in body alone, and studiously ignores the deep scrape on her thigh and the pulled muscle on her shoulder. Zuko flits back and forth between consciousness and scouting away into the battle. He is both dead weight and an asset. Suki does not allow guilt to well up at every touch. There is no time for remorse and distress in the middle of battle. There is only the fight. But she allows herself one moment to be a child instead of a soldier. One moment, when they are ready to enter the throne room and face the fate of the world. Suki touches Zuko's arm, pulling him to a stop and meets his eyes. Zuko doesn't flinch this time. Stay safe, Suki states, and she wants something more, a hug maybe, or to kiss her friend's cheek and what very well may be goodbye. But she knows that it wouldn't be fair to Zuko, so she withdraws and nods and they enter. You too, Zuko replies, a beat or two too late. Suki's posture shifts, and she is a warrior again. The fight has progressed since Zuko was last here, but it has not slowed. They have lost fighters, and Zuko can only hope that they are not lost to death. Aang keeps being pulled away from his task of fighting the Fire Lord, because he is needed to protect his friends. Uncle Iroh is here now, fighting with... Azula. Zuko needs to stop that from happening. Can't stand the idea of either of them being hurt. Aang turns from his fight with Ozai to provide backup to Sokka, and Zuko watches as the Fire Lord smirks. Aang's distraction is the Fire Lord's advantage. Zuko calls up his fire and flings it towards the Fire Lord, looking for just a moment of distraction, just a moment to get Aang back on task, and then Zuko can provide Sokka's backup while the Avatar... Back so soon, child, the Fire Lord snarls, blocking Zuko's flames and returning with his own. Zuko's fire is strong now, but Zuko is also vulnerable, and whatever surprise he must have given his father by disappearing has worn off in the adrenaline of battle. This is a real fight, now, with real consequences. Couldn't stay away, Ozai asks, his voice loud above the roar of the flame. Don't worry, Zuko. When this is all done, you can come home. And Zuko knows what he means by come home. Zuko's hands shake once, hard, before he tamps down the urge to flee. Zuko's eyes slide to Aang. He is caught up in another fight. Zuko shudders. That's what you want, isn't it, boy? Ozai asks, moving closer to Zuko. Why else would you return here? Zuko blocks another attack, and he needs to do more than blocking. He needs to actually fight. But now that he's really here, now that his body and soul are aligned... Everything about this battle feels too real. His father's face is too real. The heat of the fire, the shouting, voices everywhere. 
Blue fire washes near him. Zuko protects himself on instinct, but Azula's attention is on Uncle Iroh, not Zuko. I am here to witness your defeat, Zuko makes himself say. His voice wavers hard, like it doesn't want to spill from his throat. I will never. The Fire Lord's face breaks into a smile. It fits strangely on his face. Predatory in all the wrong ways for battle. Like Zuko isn't even worth focusing on as an opponent. You will never what, Zuko? He asks. Tell me, do your little friends know? Zuko punches out fire, his mind disjointed from his body's attack. The Fire Lord brushes away Zuko's fire like it is nothing, and he laughs. Do they know? He asks, loud and taunting. Do they know that you're nothing more than a common whore? Than my whore? Zuko's knees shake hard, and he has to concentrate too much on standing to do anything else. Zuko stares at Father, his eyes blurring with anger and humiliation, and hopes that nobody else can hear him over the roar of battle. He tries to say, I'm more than that. Tries to say, you are a monster. Or anything. Anything at all. But Zuko's voice escapes from him. Something is still in the air around them, like the world is slowing down. Zuko's knees buckle. His knees hit the floor with a crack that Zuko imagines he should be able to feel. That's right, Father says, stepping closer through the chaos. You do know where you belong, don't you, boy? Lightning crackles at Father's knuckles. Zuko should fight back. He should stand. He knows the stance for redirecting lightning. Zuko's body won't move. His mind feels like it's moving through molasses. He's going to die here. This won't be such a terrible place to die, Zuko tells himself, watching the lightning build. At least death means he won't ever have to go back. Zuko's eyes slip closed, and lightning strikes. The sound of battle rushes back to him with a roar, and... Nothing hurts. For a disorienting moment, Zuko thinks that he is numb. But when he opens his eyes, Uncle Iroh is standing before him between Zuko and the Fire Lord, and lightning is pouring from his fingertips and slicing away from them. Leave my son alone! Uncle Iroh screams, voice rough and enraged like Zuko has never heard him. Zuko should stand. It is pathetic for him to stay here, on his knees, in the midst of battle, hands shaking on the cold floor. Someone will strike him from behind. But when Zuko looks behind him, it is to find that the fight has slowed, and that Toph is providing silent cover, hands raised. Your son? The Fire Lord asks, a laugh caught in his voice. You're welcome to him, Iroh, though I must suggest he's much more talented as a bedwarmer than an heir. The Avatar steps into Zuko's vision, beside Uncle Iroh. Zuko's mind feels very far away, like he slipped from his body without realizing it. He can see the fight around him, but it seems too slow, too quiet to be real. And Zuko feels nothing, not even confusion at the unlikely stillness. Fire Lord Ozai, the Avatar says, his voice deep with a thousand years of history. Zuko looks up, his eyes drawn to Aang, because he is suddenly distantly aware that Aang is about to recapture the Avatar state. You will answer for your crimes. Fire Lord Ozai lifts his hands, ready to strike. It never comes. Instead, an awful sound tears through the air, slicing at Zuko. His head snaps around to the source only for his vision to be washed in white and blue, lightning and fire bursting forth, hot and bright, searing into Zuko's eyes. The scream stops before the lightning fades. Azula collapses to her knees, hair as wild as her eyes. She lifts her hands to her own head and screams again, a short burst of sound. 
Zuko scrambles to his feet and runs to her. It burns to hold her. Blue flames continue to rush from her as she shakes, but Zuko doesn't care, can barely feel the pain. He lifts his head for a moment, looking across the throne room at the prone body of their father. It's okay, Zuko says as Azula shakes. It's okay. I'm here. I'm here.